0: Father, we pray for the light of your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us, that you lift up your smile over us and give us peace, Lord. Father, wake us up, startle us, remove everything that hinders love. And Father, those areas where we're grumpy, we're easily bothered, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, catch the foxes, Holy Spirit. Lord, let there be a grace to just bring those foxes to you, to bring, and that there be no shame, there be no hiding, Lord, that we would come boldly before the throne of grace. With these things, Lord, because you, you have, you've got a destiny in mind for us, and that's to be conformed to the image of Christ. Lord, because Jesus is our inheritance. In him, we have everything we need for life and for godliness. Jesus, you are the promised land. Life in you is what you've promised us. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Lord, for our inheritance in Christ, seated at the right hand of God, a co-heir with Christ. We co-labor with him, and we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ and the heavenly places, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. If you'll uh, bring my sermon up there. So this is the Awakening Commission. I'm going to start putting this in front of us a little more often. But we've talked about this before, but it's good to to have it in front of us. But back in uh, 2012, the Lord really told us that Isaiah 62.10, that he was giving us a commission with this. And it says, go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, and lift up a standard over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him, and they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought out, a city not forsaken. And so this first verse, chapter, uh, verse 10, is really kind of what we do with the, through the power of the Holy Spirit as we go through the gates. Genesis twenty-two seventeen 17 says, one of the covenant promises to Abraham, he says, your children will possess the, enemy, the gates of your enemies. And so possessing the gates of the enemy is meaning you're going into enemy territory and you're taking back what Jesus purchased. You're co-laboring with him because Jesus is after his inheritance. He has a portion, and his portion is his people. And so we go in on rescue missions into the dark places that are really not dark to the Lord because he's never seen darkness, according to Psalm 139, that darkness is as light to him. And so we go and we shine the light. And we go in through these areas that are dark. We go through these areas that the enemy maybe has tried to occupy. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's government. Maybe it's all kinds of things, business. And, and we go in there and we invade and we bring the kingdom. And we clear the way for the people. And so we show a way for the people. And we're like, hey, this is how you invade darkness. We build up a highway. We remove the stones. We remove the stones of condemnation. We remove the stumbling blocks of anything that's not the true gospel. We we want to uh, preach the true gospel. We're not perfect in that, but we're, that's that's our heart, and we're trying to communicate what the scriptures say as accurately and as faithfully as possible. And so, we, you remove stumbling blocks when you when you preach the gospel. When Jesus said, "I," you know, we sometimes we have Santa Claus Jesus, and that's not really who he is. We remember that he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Well, peacemakers make peace. They don't try to keep peace. They're not the, the people. And sometimes to make peace, you got to, we got to have a talk, all right? We got, that's how you make peace sometimes. And so, and Jesus said, I, don't be confused. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And what he means by that is he's, he's drawing the lines very clearly of what his kingdom is. And what the world is. And he did not. You, when you read the gospels. It's very clear. What Jesus said about himself. And about his kingdom. And then Athens. We will be called a holy people. The redeemed of the Lord. Sought out. A city not forsaken. Somebody say amen. So I want to talk about the triumph. That Jesus accomplished for us. And um. You know, how many of y'all can remember the smell of your grandmother's house? All right, I remember my grandma's house down Worth County, South Georgia. When we, whenever we'd first go into the house, it was uh, peas and cornbread. Big boy peas is what she called them, but there are those field peas that were, they were really big. Those green, those big green field peas, and she made cornbread patties. That were fried on both sides it wasn't baked in the oven she fried on both sides and uh, then she'd have sweet tea that was sweetened with saccharin tablets anybody remember what saccharin was it will kill you and so uh (laughs) they don't even put it on the shelf anymore so um bless grandma's hearts. Whenever they started making shortcuts, she had worked so hard all her life. She's going to take every shortcut she could get, you know, and that's, it was good tea though. It was sweet. And, um, and then you go into grandma's bedroom and you could, I remember her bedroom had a different smell. There There's some mothballs in there and her bathroom had a different smell. Not, not a bad one. And, uh, um, I have just realized I had to clarify that. And so but your smell is, it reminds you of something, right? You smell rain. Uh, you smell, you know, I go into a, I smell a locker room. It instantly brings me back to the locker rooms I was, I was in. How many of y'all, y'all smell a funnel cake? What do you think of or like, or get in my belly? Maybe that's what you start thinking. But you smell that, you smell that oil, you smell that sugar, starts triggering things. And so um, I want to read from 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Is that not a great promise? All right, so think about whatever you're in right now. What's your current situation today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, 2019, and the way God's looking at it is like, he's going to win. She's going to win. Jesus did it. And Paul says we fight the good fight. Now, a good fight is when you win, right? That's a good fight. Bad fight is when you lose. But a good fight is when you win. And thankfully, it's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon the warrior king out of Isaiah 42, Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's accomplished it for us. It says, so he always, everybody say always, leads us in triumph in Christ. And that's important, in Christ. Not in Travis, not in any of us. And manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing. To one an aroma from death to death, and to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Here's Paul, man who moved in signs and wonders, wrote most of the New Testament, walked in a spirit of wisdom and revelation, you know, next one level below Jesus. And, and here he is, he's like, Who's adequate for these things? Paul would say, I, I came to you in fear and much trembling. But then he says, but I preach the gospel in boldness. <laughs> and so this is, this is the life in Christ because Jesus calls you to do the stuff that he does, which you can't do. It's supernatural. It takes God. What we are praying this morning is, it takes God to love your enemies. That's not in the human nature. Jesus said, if you... Lend to those who can pay you back. What credit is that to you? If you love those who love you back, what credit is that to you? So I'm kind of looking at that like, if I just love those who love me back, that's not even uh, storing up any reward for me in heaven. I mean, maybe, I don't know, but he's just like, what credit is that to you? And so Jesus is, he's raising the bar of what love looks like. And it's like, you can only love your enemies in Christ through him. And so this scripture, Paul, you know, Paul was uh, Jewish, but he's very familiar. He was a Roman citizen, so he's very familiar with Roman culture. And so he's actually using a Roman analogy here. And so he's talking about what was called a Roman triumph. So a triumph was actually a parade or like a procession. And it was thrown in honor of a massive military victory. And so these were the conditions to have a triumph from Rome. You just couldn't, not just every war was celebrated, but these were the conditions for a for a triumph, okay? And, what, and the triumph was that the army comes back into Rome, there's fanfare, there's a parade, there's musicians, there's trumpets, and they're coming in and they're leading their captives into the city. And you got the the conquering general, and you've got the victorious troops, and we're going to go through all what it looked like. But these were the conditions to have a triumph. There had to be war on foreign soil. And just when when we read through these, think about how it is parallel to what Jesus has done. So there had to be war on foreign soil. At least 5,000 enemy troops had to be killed. Territory had to be added to the Roman state. The conquering general had to have a certain rank in Roman society. The victory had to end the war so decisively that the Roman army could come home after the battle. If these conditions were met, then the Roman Senate would declare a triumph for the conquering general. And then the triumph would take take a circle route. What's that word? Circuitous they make a circle through the city. and uh, So they would make a circle through the city so everybody could see the conquering heroes, the, the, the troops and the general. And so throughout the city, as they're making this, this circle through the city, they pass through every uh, pagan temple dedicated to a god. And so, you know, you, you had, uh, they're going by all the Roman names for the Greek gods. I can't get the Romans and Greek names separate, but, you know, you got Ares, Athena, and all this, and, and they're going by those temples, and then they end up at the temple of Jupiter, which was their name for Zeus, and that's, that would be where the end of the, the route would come to. And so as they're going along, the air is filled with incense. As they passed each one of these pagan temples, they would burn incense in that temple, and so it was filled with the fragrance of incense, all right as they paraded around now the order of the parade first would be the, the senators and the mag, the mag, magistrates the big cheeses all right they would go first and then you had the musicians and then you would have the the captives and sometimes the captives would be they would be led in chains and sometimes they would be allowed to stray, stay dressed but they could also be taken naked through the city and so they were stripped of their clothes and oftentimes being that like so as they wanted to shame the enemy. They would have uh, paintings and floats. And so they would, once they heard of the war, like, hey, they say they conquered Carthage and then they would make these murals of Carthage and a, or a, a, a float, a 3D float of Carthage and all, everybody in the crowd could be like, look at our mighty heroes. Look what they've conquered. And then they would have the spoils of war, all the treasure that they took would come. Then they'd have the conquered king who'd be dressed in black if he was alive uh, with his family. He'd be dressed in black because of his mourning. Then you'd have the victorious troops and then the conquering general. The conquering general would be with his family. He'd be pulled in a chariot of four beautiful horses and he would be dressed in the garb of Jupiter, which would be like a uh, golden sash, red boots, and dressed, dressed up like that god. And then the, the oxen would come last. They would be white oxen. And once they got to the temple of Jupiter, the oxen would be sacrificed. And after the gods got their share, the meat would be dis- distributed to the people. That way the people would feel like they've participated in the victory. And then the last thing would, that would happen was what they called the spectacle, which was the the uh, gladiators in the arena, the animal hunts, and whatnot. And so Paul, why is Paul using this to communicate what Jesus has done for us? It's obvious. It's that Jesus. What well, he's saying when when Jesus went to the cross. Now Jesus, he his, he's a king like no other, right? Jesus came and he conquered by humbling himself. God doesn't ask you to do anything that he hasn't done first. And so he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what Philippians 2 says. So Jesus came by the way of the cross as as the Lamb of God. And as the resurrected king, he's the Lion of Judah. And when he, and a lot of people said on Saturday, yesterday, what he was doing was he, was he went down in hell and he preached to all the demons that it's over. And he took the keys from death and from Hades. And he said, you're done. It's over. And so he took those keys and he's leading the demonic host as his captives before his people. And those who wish to, co-labor with him and join him, we get to take a part of the parade. Jesus even said that, uh, or or Paul, I can't remember which one of them, but I know it's part of the inheritance of the saints that even the angels won't get to do is that we'll get to judge. We'll get to participate with Jesus in in judging. And so our triumph from Christ. So even in in, uh, this scripture right here, verse 14 So Paul's talking about a triumph, but then he shifts the focus about saying how we're the incense. And so when you're walking through the the streets of Rome as a captive and you smell this incense, as a captive it smells like death because you're either going to be put to death or you're going to the arena, which was a death sentence, or slavery, which is living death. And so they smell this incense and it smells like death. The Roman citizens, they smell it, and it smells like victory. The same incense interpreted two different ways. And one of the things that I've noticed as over the years and just having the opportunity to share the gospel with people is sometimes when you share the gospel, it's life. It's the aroma of life to people, and they're like, yes, yes. Can you tell me more? And then some to some people, it's the aroma of death, where they're like, "No, nah, I got no, nah, I'm good." And then and they get why do they get so upset? Now when I've had when I have a uh, Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon come to my house and they try to witness to me, I don't get mad at them. So why do people get mad at Jesus? Not, I'm not saying everybody does, but a lot of people do. Because Jesus forces you to make a decision. <laughs> he says the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So what if you're unrighteous? You're dead in your sin. What does that feel like? You, you smell your death. You smell your sin. And it's not, it's not fun. I, I was the same way. I remember, people, I remember going downtown Athens and hearing people share the gospel. And I was like, I'm getting far away from them. Why? Because I didn't want to feel shame. Because there's now, listen, I want you to hear me. There's no shame in the gospel. There's no shame in Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. So what Jesus does is when he says, listen, you've got sin, it's crea- it's, it's, you have a debt. I paid your debt so you can have a relationship with me. What Jesus is doing, when you feel that shame, he's like, will you give me that shame? Will you give me that condemnation? Will you give me your sin? That's what he's saying. Jesus doesn't say this. You you sinner. Now, some preachers bring it this way. You sinner. You are a sinner. And people know that. It doesn't mean we don't share that part of the gospel. But what we say is like, do you want to give it to Jesus? Do you want to be free from the shame? Do you want to be free from the condemnation? Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is condemnation. What happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned? They did this in downtown Athens, what I did. I don't want to be near. I'm running. I'm hiding. That's what sin does. It makes you hide because it's cloaked in shame. There's no shame in Christ. There's no condemnation in him. The only shame one of my friends, my friend Fernando Villalobos said the only shame you can ever have is that you don't come to the cross because then you have to keep it instead of giving it to Jesus. And so Jesus always leads us in triumph. The incense of our prayers reminds the devil of his loss and demise. And then we're also that laid down sacrifice on the altar. Romans 12 says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto him. Leviticus chapter 1, there's three instances where it talks about the burnt offering on the altar. And it says that you offer the burnt offering. And, and then at the end of that, that verse, he'll say well, after you, that, that aroma comes up from the burnt offering. And it says it's a soothing aroma to the Lord. You want to minister to the Lord's ho- heart? Lay your life down. Let your life down. A surrendered life. When you, when you choose the Lord over maybe something that you prefer, when you when we when we get let go of selfish ways, guess what? It ministers to the Lord. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. When, you're, when your child, when you see your child doing well, how many how, man, woo! That's my child. Bill Johnson, I heard him say one time when Eric was, his son Eric was playing baseball in high school and Eric got a hit. He said, Whose son is that? (laughs) That's what the Lord does when we choose him. He's like, Whose son is that? Whose daughter is that? Look at him. The Lord is proud, He's well pleased. And he's pleased with you, right? He loves you right where you're at. He never asks us to be perfect because there is one man that did that. He just asks us to have courage. There's times you're going to fall down. You're going to fall down. And the righteous man falls down seven times and rises again. That's the definition of righteousness. You get up and you don't quit. And you say, like, Lord, I stumbled. I'm going to keep pressing on to the, high, the upward calling in Christ Jesus. I'm going to keep getting up, and I'm going to keep getting up, and I'm going to keep getting up, and I'm not going to quit. We go to the next one for me. So Ephesians 4.8. So here's Jesus leading the captives. Just imagine that it says he, he leads us in, in triumph. And the demonic host is his captives. And what he did was it says he, according to Ephesians 4:8, and this is the message version, he climbed the high mountain, which was Golgotha, the place of the skull, and he captured the enemy. Seized the booty, all the treasures that the enemy had taken, the spoils of war, and he handed it out as gifts to all the people. So through the, resur- through the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus went into hell, says it's over. Took what the devil had had, had stolen, because the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Takes all those gifts, and imagine Jesus in the triumph parade. We're standing around. He's casting the gifts to us. And he gave gifts to men. And those gifts are are outlined for us throughout the scriptures. I want to read Colossians chapter 2, verses uh, 13 through 15. This is from the Passion Translation. It says, This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp. But now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return. For we are forever alive and forgiven of all of our sins. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently, There is a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all the spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Somebody say amen. And so... In Jewish custom, Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. It's one day the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies. He makes atonement for the, for the nation of Israel for their sins. And that lasts one year. And in this, Paul is making, he's making another Roman analogy. So in, in like the NASB and the ESV version that, where it talks about the, uh, the public display of cancellation, that was called the certificate of debt. So he's canceled the certificate of debt against us. And so in Rome, when you went to court and you were found guilty, they gave you a document that was a penal term. And so in those days, the jailer would keep your certificate of debt and mark off the years the criminal was in jail. All right, so when Paul and uh, Silas were praying in the jail and it, broke out and then it says the jailer was about to kill himself the reason was is because if your prisoner escaped whatever remaining balance of years they had to serve in jail the jailer had to serve that and so when Paul and Silas were the 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 prison doors open the jailer was about to kill himself because he's he's like I'm I'm about to serve 30 years, or maybe they just might even kill me. So I'm like, I would just rather do this. And so, but what it, but Paul and Silas do, they saw that he was about to draw a sword and kill himself. But Paul cried out with a loud voice because he couldn't see them. He says that he, he thought they had escaped, so he didn't know where they were. But Paul says, we're here. Don't kill yourself. Now, who does that as a prisoner? You're like, let's, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. And so Paul says, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because that's the supernatural love of God that does not run when your prison doors open. Because your jailer is about to kill himself. The guy whose job was to make sure you never escaped. And who knows what they did to make sure you never escaped? So, when a criminal's debt was fully paid, the sentence was fully carried out. Carried out on that certificate of debt, they would write this word called this. Uh, Uh, Greek word, tetelestai. And so you take that certificate of debt, it's up here, and it's, bam, stamp it, tetelestai. This same word was what Jesus used in John chapter 19, verse 30. When he's on the cross, he just drank his last drink of sour wine, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, my spirit. And he says, It is finished. That's the same word, to tell us And what that word, to tell us actually means is paid in full. And so when Jesus was on the cross, his last words were, Paid in full! And he let his life go. So you've been paid in full. Your life has been redeemed from the pit, (laughs) paid in full. Because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So never read that part the same again. When, you see, when Jesus says it's finished, just realize he said paid in full to the Father. Colossians 2.15, the message, it says he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority <laughs> at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Just like we had talked about. And so, what does this mean for us? In Acts chapter 2, there's two great questions in that chapter that that we can always bring before the Lord in our relationship with Him. Peter had just preached the famous sermon at Pentecost. And the people who heard the message, they said, What does this mean? And so when the Lord's, when something's going on in your life, a great question to ask the Lord is, what does this mean? And then Paul, I mean, uh, Peter, he, he begins also to explain what does, he's explaining what this means. That's, that's the sermon. And then after they hear the sermon, they say, what must I do? So the two questions always ask yourself when you're figuring out what the Lord's doing in your life is, Lord, what does this mean? What must I do? And so what does this mean for us? What does the, the resurrection mean for us? It means we get the privilege of learning how to live from victory. You know, Colossians chapter 3, it says, if, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, he's like, Paul is basically saying, therefore, if you're in victory, if you've already won, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not things that are below For you have died and your life is now hidden in Christ in God. So what he's saying is learn how to live from Jesus' perspective at the right hand of the Father. Now Jesus, remember what he says about our sins when we've confessed them to him and we've repented. It says he cast those sins as far as the east is from the west. It's been covered in the blood. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love doesn't keep a record of wrong. So if God's telling us not to keep a record of wrong, what do you think he does with your record of wrong? It's covered. It's as far as the east is from the west. He can't even see it. And so God sees you from present to future. He sees where, you're, where you are right now, and he sees where you're going. And so what he wants you to do is see where you're going. See what he has for you. That way you can actually pray from the future into your present, if that makes sense. So so right now, maybe if you're in a hard time, God's got a victory solution. Ask him, what does the victory solution look like? So you're looking from Jesus' eyes at your future. And then you pray into that. Because if you pray surrounded by your circumstances, you're just going to pray. You're going to Oh, you're going to get overwhelmed. But he's asking you to look from heaven where things get a lot smaller. So every struggle has already been guaranteed a victory. And God wants you to live in the present from your future. So maybe if, if money's tight, you're like, Lord, what does is, what is, what is your provision look like for me? What does it look like? Where do you want to take me? You know, Deuteronomy 28 Where it says, the enemy will come at you one way and flee seven ways. That scripture, it sounds like a a warfare scripture, and and it is. But it's surrounded by all these covenant promises of the Lord prospering you. Blessing your herds, your flock, the offspring, your barns, your kneading bowl, all that kind of stuff. It says the Lord's, and, and the Lord also talks about, you know, Malachi rebuking the devourer off of your finances. And so the enemy, some of the warfare, because if he can hamstring you in your finances, he's going to try to do that. So God wants you to live in the present from your future. And then Acts 2, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized. So if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, it's he made it simple to come to him. You're like, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. I wanna I wanna turn away from that life and I wanna give my life to you. I wanna walk with you. I wanna know you. And you just you simply invite Jesus into your heart. You're like, Jesus, come into my life. It's easy, it's simple. But there is a there is a cost to following Jesus. That old life is gonna has to die. The old life has to die. That's what he because Jesus, there's an exchange. If he's going to give you his life, you've got to give him your life. And a lot of, I used to walk around as a Christian with a, uh, if this was the the bargaining table with Jesus, here's I'm like, here's my life. What? Huh? You can't, you're too slow, Jesus can't get it, can't get. And I kept taking my life off the table. And then I finally realized it when one day he said, I'm not going to give you any freedom till you give me all of you. I was like, it's, Jesus drew that line with that sword. He says, it's all or nothing. You're either for me or you're against me. There's no neutral ground. And it takes full surrender. If you want my life, which is, Jesus was not oppressed by one single thing. Acts 2, it says the promise is for you and your children. And then we'll read these last few verses. And this is what life looks like. This is what resurrection life looks like in the body of Christ. If I can get my page to turn. Verse 42, it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the word of God, and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. Devoted to fellowship, the teaching of God's word, and the prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Here's our plumb line. When we get together as Christians, and we get in the presence of God, are we like, can you believe what God's doing? (laughs) That's the plumb line. If we're not in awe, then we're not experiencing Jesus at his fullness. Because if Jesus were to stand right here before us in resurrected glory, we'd all be on our faces. And so, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you got fellowship. Devoted to the word of God, prayer, salvations, signs and wonders, a sense of awe in the presence of the Lord. That's what life, that's what resurrection life as the body of Christ has been outlined for us to look like. And We're going from, we're going from glory to glory and we're going from faith to faith. And so the Lord is, he always calls us up higher, right? There's an upgrade earlier. I was talking about maybe he, if he puts a finger on a on a a spot in your heart that's making you grumpy. It's not because he's a bully and he likes making you grumpy. What do you think he's doing that? Because he wants you to give you an upgrade. He's like, son, that's not life. It's not righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he puts the that grumpy. He's putting that finger on there. Because he wants to give you an upgrade in Christ. He wants you to give that to him. He's like, I paid for that. Give it to me. So you can have abundant life. So I want, um, we're going to take communion. So if uh, one of you guys back there, if y'all get the kids, or Jessica's going to get them. And I want to encourage you, if this is, um, if you've never asked the Lord to come into your heart, like today's the day to ask him to come, okay? And maybe this is just a day where you're like, Lord, you got your finger on that grumpy spot, you're, you're you're light, you're shining more light in my life, which is a good thing. Lord, just help me surrender. We all need grace to surrender. It takes God to love God. Right. And so we need his grace. That's why Paul said in the second Corinthians, he said, the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the ability of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We need the grace of Jesus Christ. And so as we take communion, we're taking of the Lord's body and his blood, and we and we believe that we receive that grace as we take communion. We're receiving the, the spiritual grace, the, the ability of Jesus to walk as he walked.